0: one of ten psalms written by Asaph. He was the organizer and leader of the temple choirs in David's day. So he was the music minister, if you please. And in this psalm, Psalm 73, he deals with an issue that I'm certain most everybody here has wrestled with, or you may wrestle with at various times in your life, the aspect that, why is it that the wicked seem to prosper, but those that follow the Lord seem to suffer? You don't need to raise your hands but well yeah go ahead raise your hands not wait till i ask the question all right but how many how many of you have thought something along this line here i am trying to do what is right trying to walk with god trying to obey with god and it seems like It's just a battle. This doesn't turn out right. And that's not turning out right. And then this guy here, he could care less about God and lives a life in defiance of God. And it seems like everything's turning out good for him. How many of you have ever thought anything along that line? Okay. When I was in high school, I wrestled in high school and... I took it serious. I worked hard at it. I I worked out in the off season and and on our wrestling team was another kid that didn't work hard at it. Partied all the time. He went to state. He placed in state. I never made it to state. So needless to say I didn't place in state. And and I was trying to live for God, and, and honestly, I thought, what, what's going on there? And, and there are a lot of examples that you could give of similar situations throughout life. You run into this often, and this psalmist is really honest with us here. He begins with the statement, truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. So he he says, okay, I acknowledge this fact, and it's kind of like bookends on his psalms here. But he said, but as for me, he said, I know God is good to Israel. So he established that truly God is good. Absolutely God is good. Now, see, as believers, and let me, let me just say, by and large, the message today is to believers, and we will also be tying in some things if you're here today, not as a follower of Christ, but primarily to believers. By and large, we know mentally God is good, but we run into situations in life that, like, well, if God is good, why why is my loved one dying of cancer? Or why did I get laid off from this job? Or we could go on and on and on. We know, truly, God is good. But the psalmist said, I acknowledge that, but he said, I'm, I'm going to be upfront and honest with you. And the book of Psalms... The word of God is upfront and honest. And he said, I know God is good, but I'm telling you, as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. Why? Because I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I mean, here's the music minister saying I am really struggling with this. I know God is good, but man, I look at the prosperity of the wicked and how everything seems to be going well for them, and I am envious. I, I am thinking, man, I wish I had some of the things that, that they had, or I wish I had some things go well. And in this psalm, he kind of walks us through his thoughts, and he brings us to the reality of the privilege that he concludes and that he wants us to conclude as well. So he begins, absolutely God is good. And then number one, we learn from him that a short-term Earthly perspective leads to despair. He said, I almost, I almost fell. I, I was in despair because I was envious of the foolish and I saw the prosperity, the immediate short-term prosperity of the wicked. A short-term earthly perspective will often lead to Despair. Because we end up believing lies which lead to false conclusions. Notice the lies that he believed. Verse 4. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. Meaning, when they die, it's, it's a blessing. There's no restriction. And their strength is firm to the end. Honestly, did he really believe that? Does every wicked person, their strength remains firm to the end? No. He was believing lies. But, you know, when we get in our pity parties, we believe lies. Everybody's got it better off than me. Why, well, look at those wicked going and do it, and they don't have any trouble. And we get blah, 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 all this stuff. Poor me, you know. It isn't true that there were... Notice verse 5, they are not in trouble as other men. That's right, their cars never break down, their kids never go bad, they never get a disease. But he was believing the lies. You see, we believe falsehood and it leads to wrong conclusions. He was believing falsehoods. Neither are they plagued like other men. Look at this guy. He's not plagued like these other people are. Everything is going wonderful for him. That's what he was believing. He believed that everything was perfect for the wicked and he envied them. It was not correct for Asaph to conclude that all the wicked prospered and that all the prosperous were wicked. Not all the wicked were wealthy, and not all the wealthy were wicked. But he believed the lie. His characteristic of his fellow countrymen was that they're all prosperous, they're all proud, and they're all popular. But you notice Asaph came to conclusions because he was consumed with envy and greed, he was not so much distressed at the sin of the successful as he was by the success of the sinful. See, sometimes we can get that way. We're not distressed by the sin of someone that we assume is successful. And and our human nature is pretty bad off, you know. Anybody we see as successful, we want to explain it away. Well, they're successful because they cheat or they do this or they do that. And we have a hard time rejoicing in success. But he wasn't burdened about the sin of the wicked. He was distressed about the success of the sinful. So he was in bad ways, and we don't have time to look at all the verses. You could go through and look at it. Um, But he comes down in verse 13. He says, "Verily, Here's his conclusion. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain... And washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. His conclusion was, this serving God doesn't pay. I have cleansed my hands in vain. This that I've invested to walk with God, it isn't paying off. I haven't seen any fruit of it. Look at my neighbor. Look how things are going for him. Look at this guy at work, as wicked as sin. And man, things seem to be going well for him, and I am struggling. Verily, I have cleansed my hands in vain. And he's troubled and he's turmoil and, and despair. And then he said, When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Verse 17 is the key verse of this chapter Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. Only by seeing God's perspective can we have peace. It it is indeed difficult to see life clearly through our own tears of self-pity. When we're wrapped up in self-pity, we can't see life clearly. Everything is tainted. And it's only as we come to worship God... Only as we come to see God and understand Him. And he said, until I went to the sanctuary of God and had my focus brought back on God, not on other people, he said, I was not able to see things clearly. I did not have peace. Worship is seeing things as they are. It's seeing God as good and God as faithful. It's seeing life on earth is fleeting. It's seeing that I have much to praise God for, for all that he is and all that he does, even when he brings suffering into my life. That God has a purpose for that, and he is using it for my good. Worship, And I don't just mean gathering. I mean where we come and we know God and we see God and our heart is filled with with praise to God for who he is. As we read the scriptures, we're brought back to see God for who he is. As we spend time in prayer with God and commune with him and walk with him, we come to see God for who he is. It's not just important that we do that to bring delight to the heart of God. It's important because it renews the right perspective in our lives and enables us to view the world from the right perspective. And the right perspective is understanding, as he begins in verse 18, that God writes the last chapter. You know... Everybody likes a come-from-behind story. I mean, people root for the underdog. They root for the one to come from behind. Man, what an amazing victory. I'll allude to the Super Bowl again. Somebody said, I'm about sick and tired of you talking about the Patriots. And case in point, some of you are saying they're cheaters and they win all the championships. If you want to know the truth, every team in the NFL is Probably made up of cheaters, all right? But down, what I don't even remember, 28 points. And I'll just say the New England Patriots are not my team, okay? But down 28 points and came rushing back and won the Super Bowl. Whoa, amazing. Never in history like that. And some of you are just grinding, just hearing me say that, all right? But Asaph said, until I went to fellowship with God, I didn't understand how they end. And then he says, God writes the last chapter. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into... into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with tears. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when you awake, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and pricked my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Notice what he's going on. He says, until I went and saw things from God's perspective, I forgot that God writes the last chapter. And it's the last chapter that makes all the difference in the world. The wicked, those who are not near to God, will ultimately perish. And that shouldn't make us say, yeah, stick it to him, God. That's not his purpose for saying this. His purpose is to say to us, God knows the heart of every man, and the day is going to come then God, when God will bring justice. It is not vain for you to serve the Lord. And don't get your eyes on someone that it looks like earthly they have success and everything is going their way. Remember, God writes the last chapter. Their momentary ease of life is no longer a subject of Asaph's envy. But now their final destiny brings a sobering reality to Asaph. And he says, so foolish was I to envy them. To envy them that, that have something that it appears for just a little while. And then it vanisheth away. And he says in verse 23, Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me up by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none on earth I desire besides thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I will put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all his works. Asaph came back to realize that fellowship with God is better than anything else. The reality is that we were made for fellowship with God. And we must come to the realization of this. Author and cartoonist James Thurber made this provocative observation of life. He said, All persons must learn before they die what they are running from and what they are running to and why. Do you understand? What we are running from and what we are running to, and why am I running to this. And Asaph said, I have learned that I am running to God because only God is eternal, and only God will be with me always, and only God will hold me up, and when my flesh and my heart faileth, God is the strength of my heart. And he said, I am running only to God. Whom have I in heaven but thee? If the only reason you're looking forward to heaven is because your mom or dad or your husband or wife or your kids are there, you're missing the point of heaven. Asaph said, who do I desire in heaven but you? You are the only one. That can satisfy. And who is there on earth that I desire beside you? Well, what kind of husband was he? You desire God first and foremost. It will make you the best husband there is. But to realize in desiring God, I am desiring something that can never be taken away. Security comes in your life when you build your life around that which can never be taken away. So I decide what I'm running from. We're all running from our sin. We're all running from our past, from ourself. And you can choose to run to anything else. People run to possessions. People run to things, um, fame, you name it, on and on. But if you choose to run after God and a heart that pursues God... You will have genuine success. He said that God would uphold him with his hand. Nevertheless, verse 23 I am continually with thee. Thou holdest me up by my right hand. The 19th century Hym writer Ira Sankey was walking along with his young son on a cold winter day, and they came to an icy spot, and Mr. Sankey said, Son, you better let me take your hand. And typical fashion of we as young boys, the youngster didn't want to take his dad's hand, didn't want to pull his hand out of the warm pocket, so he disregarded it. And just then he lost his footing and took a nasty fall. He got up and he said, All right, Daddy, let me hold on to your coat. Ira Sankey welcomed it. But they came to another slippery section, and the boy's grip was not sufficient to hold him up when his feet went out from under him again. And getting up, the boy said, Daddy, maybe you better hold my hand, knowing that only Dad would hold him up. God allows us to keep our hands in our pocket and walk through life, and we slip and fall. And we are stubborn-headed mules that we say, well, I don't need your hand yet. Let me just hang on to you. And until we come to say, God, I am yours, whom have I in heaven but you, and there is no one on earth that I desire but you, God, I must have you. You are all in all to me. And Asaph started out by saying, man, these people are driving me nuts. God, what's going on here? I'm trying to do your will. I'm sitting in church on Sunday morning, and my neighbor's not, and blah, 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 and nothing seems to be going right, and what's the use of it? Why why continue? And then he said, until I went and saw God, until I went and saw the reality of God and see that God writes the last chapter and that God is better than anything in this world, we realize what a joy it is to walk with Him. In conclusion, the favorite words that you love to hear, right? Let me just mention four things. Number one, God is good even when it seems like it isn't true. You must have that as a foundational belief that God is good. He is. He's the only goodness that there is. And because of that, we must continually draw near to God. He said, when my flesh and my heart faileth, in verse 26, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go whoring from thee. And then he said, But it is good for me to draw near to God. The attitude of our heart and life should be, I am going to draw near to God today. And tomorrow I'm going to draw nearer to God. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord. And only then when our flesh and our heart fails, it's just a matter of time until that happens. Only when your flesh and your heart fail and you have been drawing near to God that you can say he is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In conclusion, number three, to quote Babe Ruth, it ain't over till it's over. And 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 some of you are fretting and stewing, and bitter about people that that have done you wrong. And it may be Christians. It may not be the wicked. And you're fretting and stewing and say that isn't right. And don't worry. God writes the last chapter. He'll take care of it. They're pulling the wool over people's eyes. And and I wish I could just let people. Don't worry. God will take care of it. He writes the last chapter, it ain't over till it's over, and it's over when God says it's over, and he will bring justice. That ought to put the fear of God in our heart. Quit worrying about God taking care of somebody. You know, I've thought, I'm worried about God taking care of that person. That person's worried about God taking care of that person. God's worried about that person, and that person's worried about God taking care of me. It is. It's a vicious cycle. The reality is... God will take care of it. And as a believer, rest in this fact, as the songwriter said, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. There may be times in this life that you think, man, it's not working out. It's not going the way I thought it would. It's not happening like I thought. And God, where are you? Don't quit. Have a heart that draws near to God and understand, as Asaph realized, it will be worth it all. When we see Jesus, the songwriter says, Off times the day seems long. Our trial's hard to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur and despair. We're not just tempted, we do it. But Christ will soon appear and catch his bride away, all tears forever over, in God's eternal day. Sometimes the sky looks dark with not a ray of light. We're tossed and driven on. No human help in sight. But there is one in heaven who knows our deepest care. Let Jesus solve your problem. Just go to him in prayer. Life's day will soon be over. All storms forever past. We'll cross the great divide to glory, safe at last. We'll share the joys of heaven, a harp, a home, a crown. The tempter will be banished. We'll lay our burden down. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. And that's what Asaph came to the conclusion to. We ask today, are you sure that you'll see Christ? Has there been a time that you personally called upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin, turning from your sin and turning to Christ alone, not anything else, Christ alone for the forgiveness of sin? If you have never done that, you have no, I offer you, no consolation, no hope. There, it, it's not going to turn out right for you if you've not done that. It won't be worth it all. But if you have called upon Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and save your soul, and you have sought to draw near to him and rested in his care and provision, it will be worth it all when you see Christ. So bravely run the race. Heavenly Father, thank you for the transparency of Asaph and you recording it for our good. Lord, I don't know the specific needs represented here today, but I know that we are all tempted to as the songwriter said, murmur and complain that this isn't fair and that's not right and I'm trying hard and nothing seems to work. Lord, I pray that we would come to the sanctuary, so to speak. I pray that we would come to see, from your perspective, see you, see ourselves, see life circumstances from your perspective. And Lord, I pray that we would be as believers motivated to draw near to you as never before. God, I pray that we would rest in the fact that you write the last chapter and you will take care of Anything that needs to be taken care of. And Lord, I pray that we would be energized by the power of your spirit to walk in a closeness with you like we never have before. Lord, thank you that it will be worth it all when we see you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and we'll sing it.